0: Hey, what's going on? It's at the letters for Wednesday, July 5th, 2023. Arden swelling. Ben Nicholson Smith, our producer, is Christian Ryan. Ben, uh, the Blue Jays, as we sit here today on July the 5th, are 46 and 40. There's a 535 winning percentage. They've kind of been hovering around that 530, 535, 538 winning percentage marks. They crossed halfway point in the season. What do you make of it? What does that say about this team? Are they good enough? Are they not good enough? Where do they fit in this uh, AL
1: postseason race? Not where they want to be, that's for sure. I mean, I think that they're good enough to do a lot of things. They're good enough to win a lot of games and make a deep run, which is still their goal and still should be their goal. You know, at the same time, we can't look at this team without really having an awareness of its flaws and and the shortcomings that we've seen to this point in the season where you know they haven't had a fifth starter for a month that's really worn on them and, and obviously that'll change as we'll touch on here but this team's pitching staff has its issues offensively you know we're looking at a lineup right now that's healthy you know they have their a lineup out there but it's just not a great lineup it's a good lineup rather than a great lineup so i think it's been a good team rather than a great team and so with that you have all kinds of you know pressure at this point because they're two games out and they need to gain that ground they can't afford to miss the playoffs this year so at some point they have to Start making up that ground in the standings and really showing that they are better than either the Astros or the Yankees or the Orioles or some combination of all three.
0: Yeah, the good news is that they haven't lost much of that ground because really every team in the AL wildcard race has been middling for like the last month. You look at, like, the Angels falling off, the Yankees, the Astros have just been kind of both those teams around, you know, right around that 530 mark the Jays have been at over the last 30 games or so. Like, the Orioles haven't run away with it yet, Uh, and the Red Sox just kind of hanging around, so it, it is still, and the Mariners, by the way, too, is just hanging around, so it is very, like, muddled I guess and I would imagine that it'll remain that way for the rest of the year and we'll really go into September with not that much separation between the four or five perhaps even six teams like competing for three wildcard spots and then we're just going to find out how those clubs perform over uh, their final 28 or so games when it comes to The lineup, which you said for the Blue Jays, really hasn't done enough just yet. Like the offense has not done enough for the Blue Jays to win as much as they had envisioned that they were going to. I'm still pretty bullish about it over the back half of the season, over the final 75, 76 games, whatever it is. Because, like, if I just took all the offenses in baseball and I removed the team names from all of them and I just looked purely at their numbers. And I was like, okay, like, let's find an offense that has really underperformed its run expectancy and its potential to this point. One that has like a lot of positive indicators that suggest that it'll regress to the mean and perform better over the second half. Like, there's a lot of things about the Blue Jays offense that would stick out at me you know they they don't chase a ton they don't strike out a lot they make really hard contact consistently they use the whole field they hit the ball in the air a lot like they just have a really solid process so I would look at that offense with the name removed and say that's the one like that one with a strangely low home run total for the amount of hard contact that it makes hard contact in the air especially that's the one that I think is going to positively regress because home run outcomes are hugely impacted by luck. And this is an offense that just looks like it deserves better results to the process that's shown so far. So if that process remains consistent, I would honestly expect the Blue Jays
1: to perform better offensively over the second half. Agreed. I mean... They've been pretty middling when it comes to runs scored, and obviously runs scored is you know a, a fair way. That's the end result. It's the end goal, obviously. So it's it's definitely not unfair to judge the Blue Jays by their runs scored total. And, and based on runs, they're very much middle of the pack when it comes to uh, Major League Baseball. Now, as we move ahead, definitely would expect that to improve. Their OPS is more like 10th in Major League Baseball. Their WRC plus is even better than that. So there are a lot of indicators, as you said, the hard hit rate. So I think that's positive. I think they will improve. Now, I think there's a limit at the same time to that improvement and how much I would project them to improve, partly because they have a lot of old players. So I'm just not sure that, you know, as I said, right now, this team is healthy. Are you going to expect Kevin Kiermeyer and Brandon Belt and Whit Merrifield and George Springer, etc., cetera, et cetera, to stay healthy to the extent that they have as the season progresses. And furthermore, this is a team that has really struggled in some situations. And I have talked about this at length already on At The Letters and elsewhere, but I really think they need a right-handed bat. This is a ball club that has really, really poor production left on left. They have zero home runs left on left this year. They are last in Major League Baseball when it comes to home runs against left-handed pitching. All of that, to me, points to a need for a right-handed bat they don't have one. They don't have one coming. So I think that yes, the offense should improve, but part of that improvement should come from outside the organization because internally, I just see some weak spots right now. Yeah, that's kind of the pessimistic side of the optimistic viewpoint
0: that I presented. It's that for the lack of fortune, I guess, or, or you know, positive outcomes that the Blue Jays have had for their process and for you know how hard they hit the ball and and just the shape. Of their offense, they've had really strong fortune and really good luck in terms of just availability and durability and players staying off the injured list. Like the Blue Jays haven't had very many uh oh moments yet. And like that, uh oh moment for me is uh, when we go into like John Schneider's office before a game and he says, uh, Yeah, so and so is going to miss his next start uh, just to let some elbow inflammation subside. Or, uh, you know, so and so is uh, going to the IL because, you know, he felt something in a bullpen. We haven't had like the so and so got hit by a pitch and fractured his handmate as Mike Trout just did and is going to miss like seven to eight weeks Uh, we haven't had the uh, so-and-so use too much sticky stuff on his glove and got you know the Brandon Hyde or you know ask the umps to check and yep you got thrown out of a game and now there's a 10 game suspension and you're going without that roster spot not only that player but that roster spot for the next 10 games I mean stuff like this happens all the time across this league and the Blue Jays have uh, somewhat miraculously avoided those outcomes to this point so you, you almost do have to bake
1: in that turning a little bit over the final 10 weeks right and and with that you know i think a lot of that happens with the offense where you look at this offense and and as i said a lot of their older players guys in their 30s have been really healthy and that's a credit to the training staff it's a credit to the players themselves it is also reckless to assume that that will just continue and then when you look beyond the offense all right you look at a pitching staff that yeah they've run four deep for the last month but Each one of those four guys has taken the ball extremely consistently, and in Gosman, Bassett, and Barrios, they've got three guys who are on pace to surpass 180 innings, maybe push close to 200 innings on the season. There were just not a lot of teams that have that kind of durability at the front of their rotation, and so this could be one of those years where they just have uh, great health from their rotation, but, man, it really would help if a Manoa can come back, if a Ryu can come back, because the depth behind that front four has been really shaky for the last month. Yeah, and even if you want to look at the
0: bullpen as well, like if you just order the major league leaders in terms of appearances among relievers. Uh, Eric Swanson's name is going to be right up at the top of that list. Jordan Romano's is not going to be far behind. Tomeza's is going to be up there. Jimmy Garcia's is going to be up there. Like the Blue Jays are uh, asking a lot of some of their higher leveraged relievers, Eric Swanson in particular, and like his usage to this point, 41 outings at this point in the season. Like it's just not see
1: Harper yes he did Turner goes around and what a job by Swanson getting three big outs
0: you're going to have to back him off you're going to have to get him some more rest because we've seen that at times he's taken the mound without his best stuff without his best command and location because he's been overused and we've seen the results that come from that so you want him to be feeling as healthy and effective as possible going into the stretch run late in September and you hope into October when you are going to be using him on back to backs maybe even three times in a row three out of four same thing with Jordan Romano Um, Nate Pearson a guy who hasn't had a ton of effectiveness when pitching on back-to-backs like the Blue Jays are going to have to find a way to manage their bullpen arms more effectively down the stretch and just lighten up the workload if they're going to have some of these pitchers available and
1: effective uh, come the most important games of the season. For sure. And I still think this team, despite their underperformance, like this has not been a great start to the season for the Blue Jays. And there are a lot of questions around this team. And we'll obviously get into some of those. But, you know, I still think that their upside is as high as ever. I mean, they have a shot to win series in October and push deep into the, to the final month of the season. I, I really believe that. Now, I, I think that they would need a ton of things to go right. Now, inevitably, whatever team makes it to the World Series does have a ton of things go right. Could the Blue Jays be that team? I mean, yeah, I think that still is on the table. So you still have to push forward as though that is uh, the goal and, and push forward in the hopes that you can make that happen. But, you know, there's no guarantee. And obviously, the likelihood is they'll be knocked out before that. And as things stand now, they wouldn't even make the playoffs. So there's a ton of work to go before, you know, we're talking too much about that stuff. Yeah, you're going to want to change that.
0: Um, how much of that comes down, Ben, to the Blue Jays' performance against the American League East, against the teams that they are directly competing with in their division? I believe it's 7-20 and now against the AL East. It's 0-7 against the Boston Red Sox. Is there an explanation for this? Is is there a reason why this is happening?
1: Or is baseball just a really weird sport? Well, uh, you know, I'll be curious to hear your answer on this. To me, I just look at it pretty simply and I say the American League East includes five really, really good teams. And so when you're playing really good teams, you're going to lose a higher percentage of your games. Your expected winning percentage is going to be lower. Everyone in baseball does worse against the American League East. The Blue Jays have done worse than we would expect, even knowing that the American League East is a behemoth of a division. They have underperformed with that expectation in mind. But, yeah, it's bad. I mean, it it obviously has cost them. They had a chance to put away the Red Sox over the weekend. Totally whiffed on that chance. Very frustrating weekend. Take nothing away from, you know, that, that frustration. But, you know, I don't think there's some, like, fatal flaw here that the Blue Jays can't beat teams from the American League East. I think it's just a reflection of a really good division – be Blue Jays team that just hasn't played great baseball overall
0: I think there is a lot of weirdness to it as well like I think it is just the nature of baseball that it's often going to defy that perfect tidy silver bullet explanation that like our brains crave for everything and that like movies have taught us that is just exists for for all uh you know all the events and circumstances of life like i think it's just a weird sport like the blue jays and the red Sox, you can point to like more than a few just weird swing games here that very easily could have gone the other way um kevin gosman had a blow up outing in one of those games at Fenway Park um you know Kevin Gosman who is like a Cy Young contender and the ace of this pitching staff and has been really really good one of the better starters in the AL going to the all-star game he allowed like five runs in an inning against the Red Sox um there was the Connor Wong game Connor Wong who's like a career two nothing hitter went four for four one day with two homers and a double um, against some pretty good Blue Jays pitchers I believe he took Eric Swanson deep I think the double came off of Kikuchi I mean like you know he wasn't doing this against like it wasn't like an Alec Manoa you know tough start sort of thing uh, Connor Wong just went off and had the game of his life Alex Verdugo has hit two home runs to win games for the Red Sox against the Toronto Blue Jays since May 1st Alex Verdugo has hit two home runs. This is a span of like 220 plate appearances. Both those home runs have come off of Jordan Romano to win games. Like it's just insanely weird stuff that is happening in these Blue Jays Red Sox matchup. You can even look at like the Bo Bichette Louis Rivera miscommunication at third base. You know, did Rivera get the stop sign up early enough? Did Bo pick Rivera up early enough? Did he run through the stop sign? Should Rivera have been uh, more adamant? Like you can break that down however many ways you want to. Still, an incredibly weird play that sees the final out of the game. Bo Bichette being the represent the tying run being made at home plate so like there are what four swing games that I just gave you where really weird and unexpected things happened I think it's just the nature of baseball the Blue Jays struggles against the Red Sox and and why they've
1: gone 0-7 against them this year yeah for sure and even you know you look at Masataki Yoshida he's basically Tony Gwynn against the Blue Jays he's been absolutely incredible or James Paxton you know he's he's even this year right he's had his issues coming back from injuries, left to start early due to a knee issue recently, but against the Jays, perfect form. Sitting 97, nasty cutter, like absolutely incredible performance. Now, take nothing away from Paxton, that's part of the reason the Red Sox are a solid team this year and and if they do decide to sell Paxton could be the best acquisition that anyone makes at the trade deadline, but he's not a guy at this point in his career who goes out and does that 30 times a year so if you have to face him on one of the 15 or 18 times that he's doing that then you're in trouble so again i I don't take it as a as a reflection of the blue jays as a whole it's not good but i wouldn't be surprised at all if from here on to the end of the season the blue jays go 13 and 8 against the american league east yeah, I mean, I don't remember anyone like asking all these
0: questions last year when the Blue Jays went 16 and 3 against the Boston Red Sox. Like, we just saw it happen. Like, weird stuff happens in baseball. You know, were the Red Sox like a tremendous team last year? No, but they were like right around 500. It wasn't like going 16 and 3 against this year's Oakland Athletics or something. You went 16 and 3 against like a, a decent 500 MLB average team. Like, weird stuff happens. So uh, that, that's kind of what I chalk that up to. Um, want to move on to Alec Manoa because that's obviously the biggest topic in Blue Jays land right now. Ben, when you heard on Tuesday when John Schneider announced Alec Manoa is going to start Friday against the Detroit Tigers, what was your initial reaction? I, I was surprised for sure. I-, I was surprised. Were you surprised as well? I wasn't Surprise, well, I don't know if surprise is the right word. Like I was honestly like thinking on Tuesday about what I was gonna say on this podcast, knowing that we were gonna record on Wednesday. I was gonna make a case that Alec Manoa should start that game. <laughs> wow. So that's kind of why I wasn't. And But I also thought, I was like, oh, well, this will be different, right? I don't think anyone else is gonna be saying this and I actually do believe it. So, you know, I was building my case for that just to say something wow. interesting and novel.
1: So maybe that's part of the reason why I wasn't surprised. Oh, well, the Blue Jays stole a hot take away from you um, by <laughs> by agreeing with you. Who knows how it's going to go, right? Like, and maybe the Blue Jays will look like geniuses. Maybe Manoa goes out there and absolutely shoves against the Tigers, and this is the start of his. Come back and and that would be an awesome story and I'd be here for that and that would be a a lot of fun. I know both you and I will be in Detroit covering that game on Friday looking forward to seeing it however it unfolds. So you know as as a baseball fan it's a cool story to see whether he can come back at the same time. I think any reasonable observer has to have some questions about where Alec Manoa is going to be. Now, the Blue Jays obviously have a lot of information on this. They have the pitch tracking data for Manoa. They have information on his mechanics. They've spoken to him. They got reasons for making this decision. But at the same time, from the outside, knowing what it is that we know, I think it's reasonable to have some questions as to whether one start, one very good start on Sunday at AA New Hampshire is enough to really be indicative of a turnaround Uh, to the point that Manoa is good enough to retire Major League hitters. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he's able to go out there and pitch effectively at the Major League level because what we've seen from him all of this year is that it's been a challenge. Now, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think it's reasonable to have some real questions, even against a lineup that probably veers toward the quad A side of things in the Tigers. So then what would
0: you say would be enough like, what would satisfy the, I've seen enough from Alec Manoa in the minors to bring him back to the major leagues? Well, so
1: part of it would be throwing strikes. and Which he's been doing. Well, once he did it. I mean, in both outings, he threw strikes. Just in the Coast
0: League, they got or the Complex League, they got hammered. And at double A, he threw strikes as well. The next swing and a miss. He struck him out. Five strikeouts in a row for Alec Manoa.
1: And they were more effective. They got 10, got 10Ks. So you got strikes in both outings. Now, velocity and stuff. I, I don't have the rate. I know he touched 95 in the start against New Hampshire. Final pitch of the game in New Hampshire was 95 per John Schneider. We didn't get the detailed pitch data on his slider, um, how many swings and misses it got. I would obviously want to see that. And I would want to see a guy who is really pitching with pace um, who's not out there you know lurking around the mound and waiting 30 seconds between pitches throwing in balls to get new ones I wouldn't want to see a ton of mound conferences I would want to see him pitching with pace pitching with conviction I wasn't there obviously at either one of those starts so unclear how much of that he was able to pull off and I would want to see it for more than one start more than one minor league start that's effective like because again like What happens if he struggles now? Like, what happens if he struggles against the top? What do you do then? (laughs) You know, like, uh, so just me personally, I would have wanted to see one more. So I just I'm just not as conservative about it, I think, as a lot
0: of people are or as cautious about it, because I think the, the reaction for many folks is, well, that's quick. Like that feels rushed. That's soon. And I guess my response to that would be, well, like based on what? Uh, what, is, what is the comparable here? Like, what is the example of the right way to do this? Like, what are you, what's the prior context of the Cy Young finalist who uh, suddenly fell off a cliff and had two months where he looked lost and had to go to the minor leagues to find himself again? Like, I know, what, what are you, so who's to say it's quick? Like, you're not basing it on anything. If Hunjin Ryu was coming up to start on Friday, I would say that's quick because we've seen hundreds if not thousands of Tommy John rehabilitations that tell us that like you need to gradually build up and their velocity fluctuations and there can be um, you know setbacks and soreness and things that guys have to go through. Like we've seen that play out many, many times before. This is a new case study with Alec Manoa. Like you're charting a new course. So to say that like it's quick or this I've seen enough, like to me there's just nothing empirical that that's based on. It's just a feeling and I'm kind of trying to make these decisions based on evidence and
1: facts and what actually happened rather than, oh, that feels rushed. And and that's that's a really good point when you're talking about, you know, data around Tommy John recovery This is not an injury. This is and it has been a month in the minor leagues. So that's reasonable. And clearly the Blue Jays agree with you. (laughs) You know, this is not a decision that they would make lightly. They obviously agree with the swelling school of thought on this one. I, I think that there are reasonable points to be made in that favor. And the Tigers are extremely right handed heavy. The Blue Jays need Alec Manoa they don't want to continue relying on bullpen games there is a cost to that all of that stuff holds up and i think best case scenario mino is able to at least perform to some degree uh, against the tigers maybe it's not perfect but he goes from there and builds up and then you and you move ahead so the upside is absolutely there when you're talking about a guy who finished 3rd in Cy Young award voting last year this is the upside play i also just think that there's such a huge range of outcomes for Alec Manoa this year. And at this point, with him only having made one effective rehab start, there is also a wide range of downside outcomes here. Like, what happens, again, if he goes out there and he just loses the zone? And and I know I'm thinking like kind of catastrophic here, but like we saw it the last time he was on a major league mound. It's not necessarily that much of a reach. And if he is losing the zone now and he goes out there for three more starts, I guess at that point you just option him again and you put Ryu in, but... I don't know, man. It's like, I just would have wanted one more.
0: So if you play out that doomsday scenario where he goes out and he walks first batter on four pitches and he's laboring, he's kicking at the landing spot on the mound, his tempo's all out of whack, Alejandro Kirk's making mound visits, Pete Walker's out twice, throws 40 pitches in the first inning, like just disaster outing. What was one more minor league start going to do to preempt any of that? Or to convince you that any of that wasn't going to like if that's what happens if that's how this plays out you have way bigger problems and one more minor league outing wasn't going to be like oh okay there's my fastball command like there's the extra inch of horizontal on my slider like at some point you sort of just have to figure
1: out if he has it or he doesn't at some point you have to make that call. At some point you do. And to me, that that point would not have been Friday. Now, again, I'm not saying it won't work. And I'm not saying that I I wouldn't be super intrigued to follow this story because I I would be. And, you know, I'm not wishing for him to do poorly at all. I think it would be a great story if he does amazing and throws a shutout. But I just think when you're talking about someone who is struggling to the extent that he was, I, I think that building back with a little bit more deliberation would have made sense. And, uh, you know, I've spoken to people outside of the Jays organization who looked at this and thought, ooh, that's pretty quick. But again, Manoa can go out there and prove people wrong, and it certainly wouldn't be the first time he's done that. 3-2 on the way, and a swing and a miss to get him. Two down.
0: Soft stuff early in the count, and then when you need that strikeout, climb the ladder, go up and away with that fastball. Yeah, again, quick compared... To what compared to the other time that this happened? Quick because he had one good start. Quick because he had one, only one good start. I'll tell you the other thing I like about this spot as well. Like it's kind of a confluence of, on the one hand, being like a very soft entry point. To your point, he's going to be facing a bad offense. It has a ton of right-handed pitchers. It's not a very competitive team. He's coming off of like as good of a platform outing as you're going to get. 10 strikeouts over 5 innings like you can't really fake 10 strikeouts over that amount of time like you're like that that is for real um and just like reading Shy DeVitis reporting from uh I don't know if it was in New Hampshire or wherever that game took place was, like, yeah. yeah from in New Hampshire um like sounded like the confidence was there like Shy described it as the swag on the mound that we've seen from him in the past so like I I can't imagine a better Like outing to like come off of for your return to the big leagues as well. You have the all star break immediately after this. So if this start goes well, great. Then you go into the all star break, throw a couple bullpens, you carry that like confidence through and you come out of the break. If the start doesn't go well, You are still going to have like a pretty good amount of time after it to figure things out and to decide your next move and to say like, hey, you know, what are we going to do here? Like either way, he's going to start Friday. Then you got two more games. Then you got the all-star break. Then you got three against Arizona coming out of it and off day. Either way, whether this goes well or not, you can give Alec Manoa like 10 days between big league outings in between. So you've got a very nice bubble there where you can either like try to like get them back into the lab or get them back on a mound get them back into bullpens and try to build off of things or try to correct whatever went wrong so i think that's a big benefit i also think like the stakes of this game are very low like Ben just to be honest with you there's a reason why you and I are covering the weekend series in Detroit (laughs) leading into the all-star break for Sportsnet uh I think the stakes of this game are very low I think the attention on it is very low and I think that if it is a disaster like you go right into the all-star break and like like the coverage of the team comes down and the attention on the team comes down so like if it really is a disaster that kind of goes away rather quickly man
1: I think so I, I got to disagree with you there. I think there are two games back in the wild card. I think every game right now has significance. And especially against the Tigers, you only get so many chances to play these, these really underperforming teams. So I, I think this game has massive stakes. I, I think that every game at this point for the Blue Jays, given where they are in their, in their cycle, given where they are with Bo and with Vlad, you cannot fail to make the most of this season. And so they need to make the playoffs. I think this game is big. I think that you have a decent chance of winning that game
0: regardless of if Alec Manoa goes seven shutty or if he gives up like four over four innings, you know? Or if you had Trevor Richards and Bowden Francis. That's the other thing is like you feel a lot better with your bullpen this weekend if Trevor Richards is like throw a pitch in the seventh and available to pitch seventh even against the White Sox here. Because like if, if, Trevor Richards is starting Friday. Well, he's probably not pitching Wednesday or Thursday against the White Sox. Yep. He probably don't have bound Francis to, you know, mop up some innings if need be, pitching low leverage if, if need be out of the bullpen. Um, the it, it also, like, allows you to buy rest for Kevin Gosman, Jose Barrios, Chris Bassett, guys who have been pitching on a four-man rotation, which is extremely uh suboptimal and guys who've been skipping bullpens and pitching through physical ailments and like unable to work on things in between outings and maintain their stuff and really like get into the rhythms routines that they need in order to be their best and to be effective and to carry the exceptionally high workloads that you indicated earlier the other flip side of this from like the, you know, that it's kind of interesting to me that kind of is coupled with the low stakes angle of this and the soft entry point and all that is it shows a lot of confidence in Alec Manoa. And it tells him, hey, we have a lot of confidence in the work that you did over the last month. We believe That you are back like we believe that like what you showed us in New Hampshire was good and that you're in a good place and that you are ready to come back and contribute to this team and be a part of this. You are an important part of this. You are our opening day starter. We have all the confidence in the world that while everyone else is saying that this is quick and this is rushed, we are saying, no, you are ready now it shows some good confidence in him i think it gives him a good boost and i think it also shows like some goodwill to alec manoa who you just removed from the major league roster for a month who you just cost millions of dollars by you know preventing his ability to become a super two player and take four trips through arbitration rather than three you get him back quicker to earning big league service earning big league pay enjoying big league perks on the flights uh you know the charters the the spreads All that stuff, I think it builds some goodwill with him and and shows some
1: confidence in him as well. All true. All true. I don't want to sound like I'm an Alec Manoa naysayer here. (laughs) You know, like maybe he's (laughs) able to come out and maybe this is the start of a huge second half. And as I said, I'm totally open to that to me it just would have been one more start and then he comes back and he pitches against the Diamondbacks at home in the first series out of the break and you know you roll from there so i think you know as much as it probably sounds like you and i are are totally opposite ends of this spectrum here i'm like one game away from bringing manoa back you know i'm one more good start at double a strikeout 7 over 5 innings boom he's back in there the next time through and this is to me, it's a little rushed. I mean, we'll see. The Tigers are a good entry point, so we'll see how it plays out. For all the chatter and attention and spotlight on this, uh, the super
0: important series that you and I are driving down to Detroit to uh, to cover this weekend,
1: uh, it's probably going to be like five innings and three runs, right? Yeah, and they would be thrilled with that. They'd be thrilled with that. <laughs> and maybe if the offense can go out there and kind of find its form a little bit, you buy him a little bit of run support and it becomes that much simpler to be able to, to get a win in his first game back.
0: All right, that's Alec Manoa. Uh, we got to talk about uh, the All-Star break and we got to talk about the trade deadline and so much more when it continues on At
1: The Letters. Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
0: So Ben, as mentioned in the uh, first segment of the podcast, we are approaching the All-Star break. Uh, programming note for uh, for ATL listeners, we're going to take a, a break over the All-Star break and uh, kind of recharge, so no episode next week. But uh, when we are not recording next week ben and there's an all-star game on there's a home run derby there's whatever whatever the hell else happens uh during that span. will
1: you be watching will you be consuming are you an all-star guy where do you stand well normally i do watch the all-star game and the home run derby and so good chance that i will next week as well like I, i really like the home run derby i think the home run derby can be so much fun
0: when Vlad Senior won in 2007, he won three to two in the final round. Right. right. We just saw 20 and 16, 21 and right. 16 in the first round. That's just impressive.
1: I think they should shorten it. I think it runs a little too long. Like I don't want to sit there for three hours, but I would watch it for like two hours ten. If there was a way for them just to tighten it, but it's so fun, and you can you can really feed off of the energy that the players have. Like Vlad Junior, of course, when he's there. Julio Rodriguez. Obviously, you think back to Josh Hamilton and the Home Run Derby or some of the great performances that we've seen. And it's so much fun. So I really like the Derby. I think the All-Star Game obviously is the best All-Star Game in pro sports. I think there's some things that they could do to improve it. But I think it's a great spectacle. And yeah, I, I enjoy the whole thing. I mean, I think there's some things they could do with that entire week, including... You know, and we can get into this, but I would put the futures game on the Wednesday, maybe like a night where you don't have a lot of baseball instead of having the futures game on a Sunday where you have major league games. Same with the draft. I mean, I think it makes sense to have the draft in and around this time, but I would make the draft more of a showcase. I would put the draft on one of those down days like the Thursday. Um, And then you go home run derby, all star game, futures game draft, something like that. And those events are able to stand out a little bit more instead of being buried by the onslaught of major league games that ultimately are going to take people's focus. I don't know what this says about me. I'm like more interested
0: in the futures game. Is that weird? Because those kids are trying; like they're really trying to impress. I think about the like Arizona Fall League All Star game that I watched one year, and uh, I remember like Pete Alonso took Nate Pearson deep, and I think Nate threw like. 104 or something crazy like that. And Alonso like just crushed it. Like it was cool watching some like of future stars of the game compete on that stage because it really is like a showcase for them and it really matters to them. To me, there's more juice in that than in an actual all-star game between actual major leaguers.
1: Yeah. I mean, the futures game is fun uh, for sure. I think the all-star game, like I think players try in the all-star game. I think they try to put on a show if, if only for the other players, I don't think they're too worried about the fans, but I think they really want to show to the other players you know, that they are as good as everyone says they are. And I think that can be a lot of fun. So I, I, I do like the All-Star game a lot. I don't necessarily believe that every team should have an All-Star. Um, I'm not sure that we're at that point. I would tighten the rosters in general. And I, I would also create some rule changes. Like I think that... You know, let's let's say, I know Mike Trout's injured, so we'll say Shohei Ohtani, okay? Let's say Ohtani starts the game at DH. Then you remove him, right? Because you want to get someone else in. So you bring in, I don't know, Wander Franco to DH for a couple innings. I would definitely allow it so that you could bring Shohei Otani back into the game in some capacity. I think that would be pretty fun. You know, it's an all star game, it doesn't matter. I think that would be pretty cool. Even if he's just a pinch runner, you know, late in the game for somebody who gets on base, I think that could be a way to make things a little bit more entertaining. But I think the game of baseball is obviously a compelling one. And when you put all those players together on the same field, I think it leads to a pretty good product
0: yeah the game doesn't matter and there's nothing at stake so why not blow up the rule set like who cares it doesn't yeah. matter if Shohei otani goes in and out of the game five times like it's who, who cares what tradition are you really upholding what kind of you know sacred all-star history are you disrespecting by doing that but that's part of the reason why like i really don't watch the all-star game i don't watch the home run derby like i just i don't watch any of it because like I I watch so much baseball. If there's no stakes in it, it's it's hard for me to be interested.
1: Yeah. You know, I think that that's probably why the games that I gravitate to and I presume you probably gravitate to are, you know, the Dodgers versus the Padres as opposed to watching the Rockies play the Royals. You know, it's just it is more compelling when you have something at stake. And I think it would be really cool if they found a way to create some stakes for the All-Star game. Obviously, they tried that by tying home field advantage in the World Series to it. That was way too far. But, you know, as you said, this isn't like it. The All Star game is cool. And as I said, I think it's the best of all the pro sports for sure. And there's a limit to how good an All Star game is ever going to be. I mean, it's, you're never going to reach the same tension that you get in a wild card game or in a game seven, you know. So, so I think that we have to understand there's a limit there, but you can play with it. I mean, they used to have, two all-star games every year right like this is not such a holy event that can never be tinkered with and we've seen some willingness to do that even with the way they televise the game um getting a lot of players involved in the broadcast like alec Manoa last year which can be really cool and i think that because the vast vast majority of fans who are consuming it are consuming it via tv the tv broadcast which i think fox has the um, american rights that has huge implications as to how it's going to be perceived Um, And I think you can do some creative things with different camera shots and with different um, players involved, interview the managers in game. I mean, I personally, I always hate listening to in game uh, interviews of players. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, you know, given your role on the sidelines this year. But it just feels like a bit too much when the stakes are high. You want them to be focused on actually executing a game plan. But in the All-Star game, that goes out the window so you can Interview players and interview coaches. And I think that is a way to open fans up to the game in ways that you wouldn't normally see it. If the player's uninvolved, I'm for it. So if it's like yesterday's starter.
0: I yes. like hearing that's fun. talk to him for an inning. Yes. That's interesting. Yeah. When it's the guy who just hit a home run <laughs> yeah. and is now talking to the sideline reporter in the dugout, I don't think that anybody's getting any value from that
1: yeah exactly and when you see the like even because i think for the apple tv games the broadcasters do interview the managers in between innings and i know it's between innings and it's it's taped and they air it right after but even then i j- and i know it's obviously uh, the the rights holder wants that that's obviously included in their deal but i just think it just reads as a little bit like you're just getting a little bit too in there. I, I think that the manager and the coach in that situation deserve the chance to game plan, reset, think their you know next moves through as opposed to having to do in-game media. As a consumer, I get nothing from that access. Yeah. Honestly. It's like the
0: in the NFL or in college football, it's the coach running off to locker room talking to a reporter you know
1: (laughs) right and it's always two word answers
0: yeah you get nothing or in the nba it's like greg popovich doing yeah two two questions in between the third and fourth quarter and like making a mockery of it because he's telling you yes this is absurd why would i tell you why would i reveal anything to you right now during a game what do i have to gain from
1: that It's during the game, you know, like they're (laughs) in the midst of trying to accomplish something, Um, you know, whereas in the All-Star game, you can totally do that. And I think that it's actually, you know, really fun. Um, I think that you can do a lot there. You can have players on on mics. You could have players mic'd up together. You'd have a whole outfield mic'd up and talking to the broadcast crew if you wanted to. I mean, there's really no limit to the ways that you could connect fans to the game in that way. And it takes nothing away from the integrity of the competition. You should give the hitter a pitch gham and let him call the pitches. Yeah, the the pitcher is going to throw. That'd be awesome.
0: <laughs> Try to hit them. All right. So you said that um, home field being decided by the All Star Game was like a bridge too far for you, right? That was yeah. that was too much. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm going to blow that out of the water with my proposal right now. Let's. Yeah. So like, you're you're going to be against this in a very big way. <laughs> okay. Here's what I think we should do at the All Star break. The top team in each league so in the american league that's the tampa bay rays in the national league that's the atlanta braves right the top team in each league is going to play a three-game series against an all-star team made up of players from the rest of the league so it's going to be the rays versus the american league all-stars and it's going to be the braves versus the national league all-stars in a three-game series if the rays win two of those games, the Rays of the Braves, win two of the three. If they win the series, they get a bye to the championship series.
1: Oh, wow.
0: And the all-star team is playing to deny them of that. And if the all-star team wins the series, then the, the postseason just continues
1: on as it was going to be. Okay, so I sort of love that. I also... Th- There, there are some tweaks that I would need, though. I I think the concept is actually awesome. So I think a three-game series is, you know, these teams, these players, they need a break. Like you can't have the Rays having to play through their entire All-Star break with no break whatsoever. So the reward.
0: I mean, the reward is so great. It it makes it like it incentivizes them to do that.
1: I agree, but I also think even from like, a you know, when you think about Major League Baseball and their dual events, I don't think that they're going to try to go to Fox and say, hey, we have a three game series for you. I think that the TV rights holders probably like the one game aspect. You don't think they like the stakes and how many people would watch this because of how much is on the line? They wouldn't like the viewership. I think they would love the viewership. And this is where I actually kind of like the concept. So I think it has to be one game, though um so i would go one game and then man all the way to the american league championships here i guess because the the top team is already sort of positioned to Mm -hmm. okay here's what i would do i would do instead of giving them all the way to the championship series i would have it be one game and i would have it be they start the division series up one nothing. If they make it, if they continue to hold on to their um, position, they start yeah. the division series up one game to nothing. I'm okay with that. That's a little yeah. bit of a reduction in
0: the stakes, but it still is stakes. So I like it because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to introduce stakes. Oh, and
1: the stakes would be massive. And, and yeah. honestly, like the. So do you have two games then? You have one American League game and one National League game? Yeah. And, and, yeah. Right. Because otherwise. If you're trying to sell six games and you're trying to fit six games in, I think that's probably too unwieldy for uh, for the week. I guess you could do afternoon games. But, you know, I, I think the two games actually work. So you go maybe Tuesday and Wednesday of All-Star Week. Um, story to the Futures game. They're getting back bumped off the yeah, primetime schedule. That's fine. But you go, t- yeah. <laughs> you go Tuesday and Wednesday of the All-Star Week. And you go American League. And honestly, that would be amazing TV. Like that wouldn't be be great. So I I actually kind of like it. I actually kind of like this idea. You still get the all-star element because you still get your
0: all-star team for each league. And if you want, you could still do like have fans vote in the starters. Or you could do like a selection committee of the like, say the, you know, the other four teams are in playoff position. Their GMs and managers get to like select the rosters or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or you could still do it by fan vote, or it could be the fans vote the starters, and the selection committee like constructs the rest of the roster. Um, you'd have to, you know, pick who's gonna like manage that team and who's gonna like deploy them. But I, I right. it would introduce some actual stakes yeah. while preserving the all starness of it for for lack of a better word, and give people a, a reason to watch.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. I think the stakes are undeniable. Like, it would be so compelling. It would be really, really fun. Um, I think you could still have fans voted in. Fans actually, fans and players, and the current system is extremely convoluted, but it actually works at getting the All-Stars who deserve to be there, there for the most part. Um, You you rarely run into a question of, like, this All-Star team isn't good. I mean, you end up with really, really talented groups. I think, too, like, the, the manager question is interesting because, you know, usually you're going to have the all-star game managed by the manager of the team that made it to the World Series the previous year. And so if that team also happened to be the team with the top record, um, which wouldn't be the case this year, but that could be the case very easily, then you would, I guess, have to defer to the manager of the second place team or something on those lines. Yeah,
0: totally. Like what the the Rays and Braves are playing for is enormous. Um, Like that's a huge advantage to have, but like a, they have earned that by being so as successful as they have over the first 85 games or 90 games or many games you played before the all-star break and B, like the odds are stacked against them because they are playing a team of the best players from the rest of the league. Like they're playing a literal all-star team. So if they can beat an all-star team, that is a feat and they deserve the
1: reward that they would be getting. Okay, so furthering my my interest in this scenario is the fact that this would... So it wouldn't happen this year, but in a lot of years, this would actually create incredible stakes going into the final weekend of the season. Because if you had, let's say it was the Astros and the Rangers who were battling for the top spot in the American League, and they're playing maybe separate series, or maybe they're even playing against each other. Well, you really want to be the team that finishes first, because then you get the chance to secure yourself that one game advantage so then you really have to sell out in the final few games leading up to the all-star break for the opportunity and that would change the way teams manage and teams play in those final few games so i think it would beyond the all-star game itself it would actually lend intrigue to the last few games of the first half
0: just keeps getting better i really didn't think that you would be sold
1: on this well i mean yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an upgrade on the current system. I think this would be <laughs> awesome. I it, like I think if you if you just kept it to one game, give them a one game advantage or yeah, let's say one game and home field, something like that, yeah. then you're looking at really compelling baseball.
0: All right, Ben, uh, pulling the conversation back into the reality of MLB and not my uh, made up fantastical uh, ideas that will never happen. Um, We got a trade deadline coming up in four weeks. Uh, Do you think that we're getting a clearer sense at this point of what shape the market will take, who the buyers are, what the pool of sellers looks like, or is there still a lot to be decided?
1: I think it's still pretty murky out there really and you know the White Sox are probably a perfect example of that where they're obviously trending in the direction of being sellers but the AL Central is so weak that they're actually not that far out They're seven games out as we record this so you know a good two weeks maybe they're three and a half out maybe that changes things and you know obviously that's a team that would probably prefer not to sell. No one wants to sell um, if there's any way around it. Same applies to the Cubs or same applies to the Mariners. Some of these teams, the Padres, obviously, the Mets, they are just kind of waiting for uh, the possibility of a win streak. And if they can pull one off, that would change everything. So um I, I think that it's hard to get a real crystal clear idea of who's buying, who's selling, Clearly, some teams are going to be buyers, the Blue Jays are in that mix, but there's a lot of uncertainty still, and I think it's going to be a late developing deadline. Yeah, even outside of
0: just the East divisions in either league, the other four divisions are all still pretty hotly contested. And so that like even just lengthens the field because look like I, like I don't think that um you know Cleveland or Minnesota is going to be like one of the three wild card teams, but I know one of them's going to win that division, and they're both like still very much in the running for that division. Like the Milwaukee Brewers, like maybe not a wild card team, but absolutely in the running to take down the Reds in the in the Central. So. Uh, In the NL so like it, it is super muddled and murky right now but I do think that that creates the opportunity for quite a bit of creativity among front offices and maybe some more unorthodox trades that we don't always see at the deadline where it's purely like would now player in exchange for future prospects um i wonder if there's a lot more room for like challenge trades and for mlb or for mlb or trades whether that's with like teams with high payrolls but sort of um, like disappointing-ish results to this point, um, whether that's with low payroll clubs that are kind of like perpetually looking to refresh their roster with controllable when now talent who are in position to contend for the postseason. So like thinking of like those Brewers or those Cleveland Guardians. Um, like I do think that there is probably more room this year for those kinds of trades if uh, front offices can get together and get creative.
1: For sure. And, you know, the Blue Jays are front and center in that because they are approaching a point where their 40-man is going to start churning over. And you look at even the return of Ryu and Chad Green means that they are going to have to create two 40-man spots. Then you get to the fact that we're expecting them to add in some form. So is that one or two more major league players? Let's call it two. So then you're looking at four roster spots. And then... What if you want to add a Davis Schneider, for example, to the 40-man and bolster your major league team? All of a sudden, you're talking about a significant chunk of your 40-man roster that is going to have to turn over. Now, of course, you can DFA, guys. I mean, teams do it all the time. It's not the end of the world. But you also have the chance to potentially create some trades off of your 40-man roster and cycle some guys out um, to other teams that might have a better fit for them, that might have... Uh, view them in different ways and so i actually think that if you're the blue jays you should be looking to trade off your 40-man roster at this point yeah and even to add to why the blue jays make sense
0: in that framework is a relatively thin farm system And one that doesn't have like a lot of obvious candidates to be traded for like controllable with now talent. Like, are you really wanting to eat further into your starting pitching depth and trade a Ricky Tiedemann or Brandon Barriera? Um, Are you going to be looking to move in or Elvis Martinez, who is like made huge strides in terms of his uh discipline and and his plate approach and gotten the strikeouts under control and started walking more often and shown like really big power are you going to want to move an addison barger when you might need a third baseman next year um like i think for a lot of reasons the blue jays could make sense as that club that could make that mlb or for mlb or move uh we just saw them make one with arizona in the offseason i mean varsho for Guriel and Moreno, like those are three current MLBers. Like that was an MLBer for MLBer trades. So we know that like the possibility is there and the creativity is there and that the Blue Jays can do it. And it's probably even an easier sell to a clubhouse with a team that's results look the way that they do. Like if the Blue Jays were running away with the division lead, it would be really hard Kind of sell to your clubhouse, hey, we're trading somebody who has contributed to this and helped us be a winner, like we're gonna disrupt things, you know, on our roster and in our clubhouse right now. But just looking at the way that this season has played out, I think you actually can make a case to the group that we have to change something, we have to get better, we have to find a way to have improved results going forward,
1: or else we're all gonna be watching the postseason from our couches. That's right. And you know, you look at this. This roster, I think the big pieces are here to stay. I think they're here in place um, probably for multiple years for the most part. Um, and really, it's on those players to perform better than they have, whether that's Kirk, for example, whether that's Manoa, obviously. Um, Vlad Jr. is starting to turn things around with four homers in his last 10 games. Sends this one to right field, and it is gone! Opposite field, two-run homer for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You know, you want to see that internal improvement. I think the core is what it is, but around that core, you have guys that you could trade. And, you know, this is speculation, and I'm not trying to, you know, create a frenzy of uncertainty around any of these players when I name them, but, you know, could you trade an Adam Simber or a Mitch White or a Hagen Danner or an Otto Lopez? Like, to me, those are players on the 40-man roster that six months from now, you know, they very well might not be, and there's always churn. Forty man rosters change all the time, and then every fall you have to add new players, and there's you know that's that's the cycle of the sport. But this is a time right now if you're the Jays, where I think they should be really open to that. Yeah, I mean, how did Mitch White end up a Blue Jay?
0: I think for the Dodgers, they said he's out of options, and he's getting to the edge of our forty man roster because we're really talented and deep. So they found a, an avenue to
1: move him. Right, exactly. And they took a shot there. Um, you know, we'll see Nick Frasso uh, looked really good for a while. He struggled a bit more of late. That was the prospect that went back to l a in that deal. So, you know, we'll see how it all unfolds here, but I do think that that's one kind of version of trades they could explore. And then beyond that, I, as I've talked about many times, I do think there's room for that right-handed bat. I do think there's room for another reliever. You know, maybe the rotation is actually depending on how Manoa can do in the next couple of starts, and depending on how Ryu's progression continues, the rotation might actually become less of a priority for the Jays, and that would allow them to go out there and and maybe you focus more on adding one more reliever and one more bat, and you hope that that's enough to kind of join the main core of this team and push things forward over the last couple months. To me, those are the needs. It's right-handed power bat that
0: can ideally play the outfield. It is a swing-and-miss relief arm, like somebody who you feel comfortable pitching in leverage and who can miss bats and get you a strikeout, and it is a length pitcher. Not necessarily a true starter, not necessarily like a swingman, just someone who can like chew competent innings, like somebody who can pitch bulk efforts, whether that is starting a game or whether that is out of the bullpen. Do you agree those are the, the three primary targets for this club over the next four weeks?
1: Yeah, I think as things stand right now and with the uncertainty around Manoa, I mean, there's there's still a need for a, you know like you said a bulk starting pitcher someone that allows you to option Bowden Francis to the minors. Um, you're not as reliant on him. You're not as reliant on Trevor Richards. If there's another injury, you have some sort of bulk available to you, and that's maybe even if Manoa comes back and does really well. It's just it's always nice to have when they acquired Ross Stripling a couple years ago. Um, obviously, Taiwan Walker was a pickup along those lines just to get some innings and so i think that that would be up there and of course i think we can all see the need for a bat and every team every good team needs more relief pitching and even you know watching joe kelly you know that's the kind of arm where it's you know 100 miles an hour nice little cutter right there or slider um around 90 91 if he's healthy if he's pitching well i mean that's the kind of arm that would be available then you'd have to think the jays would take a look yeah, someone like a like a Julian Merriweather would just be perfect. <laughs> yeah, uh, he is
0: doing well. Thirty one percent strikeout rate, I think. Oh yeah, this is why you never give up. Like this is why you never write anybody off. Uh, somebody like a Julian Merriweather would be great. Uh, as would like a Marcus Strowman for the rotation, or a Teoscar Hernandez as the right handed power bat. Uh, you know, if those guys could be uh, could somehow in some way be Blue Jays, that would, that would be pretty huge. I do have some like actual real ideas and real targets that i'll i'll throw out there um i'll start with one and this is the sort of length pitcher this is the length option and that's michael lorenzen you're gonna see him at the all-star game miraculously i don't know if you agree or not that he's is or is not an all-star but that's neither here nor there but like that is somebody who um you can bring in either to like start as a fifth star in your rotation, if you need him to be. He's been starting lately, last couple of years. He's somebody who has uh, experience as a swing option going two to three innings out of the bullpen you could insert him there and let like Trevor Richards move into a more sort of focused shorter relief role this is somebody whose fastball has been up to 97 in shorter stints average 97 as a reliever in 2020 and 2021 he hit 98 this year uh, Lorenzen did when he was emptying the tank and like a 2-2 count at the end of his outing in a tie game like clearly reaching back for more but like that upper 90s is in there and I think that in shorter stints you can see more of it he's got huge spin on his fastball multiple secondary pitches I think his slider better than it's shown Uh you're not afraid to use him against lefties he hardly walks anyone and very very distant added benefit this is a very like Varsho-esque scenario with Varsho catching but Michael Lorenzen can play a passable outfield if you're in a bind he has 96 defensive innings in the majors 81 of them in center field hasn't played there since 2019 but he is playable in the outfield in a pinch like extra innings scenario, disaster scenario. So that that is just a a, a little another wrinkle to how, you know,
1: he could impact like his utility on a roster. 7 homers in the majors and a 710 OPS. Get him in the lineup. <laughs> yeah. He'd be an upgrade over <laughs> half the Jays, am I right? No, I'm just joking obviously, but I think um yeah, he would be helpful um and I have to think, you know, he's making 8.5 million this year. To me, that's not a guy with a ton of trade value. Um, you know, if you're a team like the Blue Jays that's spending to the CBT, you're able to take on a little bit more money than some teams in this game. And so maybe this is one where you send the Tigers, you know, some semi interesting prospects. And you get back a big leaguer in return. You take on the salary that adds a few million to your payroll, but you roll with it. And Lorenzen gives you a little bit of depth. I mean, it's not the most exciting addition. I'm not going to lie to you, but I think (laughs) it could be. I don't oppose that kind of addition at all. I mean, there's value there for sure. and, And it allows you to add some depth to the organization. Yeah,
0: none of these additions are going to be like exciting. Like the obvious names at the top of the market are the obvious names and everybody knows them. And, uh, you know, I just don't think the Blue Jays are going to have that 99th percentile deadline like that. Incredible. Like they come away with all the splashiest additions. Like when I'm kind of looking at targets, I'm always
1: sort of looking under the radar at guys like this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, on the hitting side, last week I threw out Tommy Pham as one. I threw out Mark Canna. Um, you know, Ramon Loriano obviously, is a guy who, who could be intriguing. Jerks and Profar, any of those names jump out to you. Is, and, and Adam Duvall, if the Red Sox decide to sell, um, any of those names jump out to you?
0: I, I like all of the above. I would add one more, and it is uh, like earlier I facetiously threw out some ex-Blue Jays, but this is an ex-Blue Jay who I actually think they should go and acquire. Randall Gritchick. You're already paying part of his salary this year. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're already paying the man to play baseball. He is a right-handed power bat who was miscast as an everyday player with the Blue Jays. If you brought him in to be deployed uh, more strategically as like a like only against lefties kind of guy. 8.78 OPS versus lefties this year. Uh, His walk rates up. His strikeout rate is down. He's not going to kill you defensively in right field. He's not going to be Kiermaier. He's not going to be Varsha, but he's not going to kill you in right. And he can actually cover center in a pinch. He's got so, so speed. We know he's a high effort player. We know he's durable. We know he's a competitor. Uh, and he should be motivated in his walk here at the end of that extension that he originally signed with the Blue Jays like five years ago. I think that in a more strategically like deployed uh, just positioned on the roster as like a fourth outfielder bench type, Randall Gritschick would make sense for
1: this roster. Well, you know, I think I enthusiastically agreed with you on the all-star idea that you had. This time, <laughs> I'm going to have to like unenthusiastically agree with you. Like nothing that you said there is wrong. Like in fact, it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I, you know, like I can't disagree with anything you're saying. I I think having seen Randall Gritchuk and seen him as an everyday player, whereas you said he was probably miscast as, you know, when I remember when they even introduced their new uniforms, right? It was like Vlad and Bo and Randall Gritchuk. And it's like, (laughs) is this guy really like a core piece of this team? No, but could he be a role player? Like, yeah, I guess, you know what? Like it's a, yeah, he could be a role player. He could be a guy who gives them a little bit more depth and, you know, Nathan Lucas, you know, a left-handed hitter in the minor leagues. Randall Gritchuk is an upgrade over that. Um, he's an upgrade over Ernie Clement. So yeah, you know, I, I could I could get behind that. Right? He's a fit with your clubhouse. He already knows
0: like the his new old teammates. He knows the coaching staff, he knows the training staff. It wouldn't be that hard of like an assimilation or a jump for him to make his way over to the Blue Jays. Like part of the reason why the Blue Jays traded Randall Gritchick when they did, I think it was ahead of 2022, right. Was because like, he wasn't, you know, going to have the playing time that, you know, he wasn't going to have the role that, uh, you know, he felt that he should have. So he went to Colorado and found that role there. But now as kind of like the grizzled vet going back to Toronto. Like I said, you're already paying him anyway. Uh, I think he makes some sense on this team.
1: Wow. That's a yeah. I mean, it would be it would be something else. And, you know, there are a lot of former Jays out there that are going to be front and center. Right. I think Marcus Stroman has a chance to be the guy who's obviously not going to the Jays, but, you know, someone who's who's really coveted at the deadline. Who knows what the Mariners decide to do with Teoscar Hernandez, but should be a lot of intrigue out there um, for for some former Jays. Uh, as we
0: wrap up any relievers you want to point like there's always a million of them at every deadline I, I have one in particular in mind that I want to highlight but I'll I'll let you uh, shout somebody out if there's anyone you want to you want to point people to
1: yeah no one really jumps out to me Um, as far as hey you absolutely have to target this guy I think that so much of it, too, is you want someone who's pitching really well in that moment. And so really, it's in the next three weeks. Um, you want to see how guys are doing, what kind of you know strike throwing, what kind of velo, what kind of swing and miss they're getting. How they're bouncing back from from outings back to back, for example. So um, you have to be really on it with your whole system that you have for for understanding what's happening around the major leagues. And as you start to dial in a little closer on guys, have some pro scouts on players. But July fifth, it's almost like you know if you're a buying team, you're thinking about giving up a halfway decent prospect. You really want to be sure he's doing well in that moment. Not he did well in April, and his season numbers still look okay.
0: Well, uh, Ben, the good news is that Arden's pro scouting department has found another winner in the dredges and the, uh, on the edges of a, a non-contenders roster. You might see him this week coming out of the White Sox bullpen. His name's Kenyon Middleton, and he has just come out of nowhere this year to like really turn his career around at the age of 28, 29. He's got a super red savant page uh we're talking 92nd percentile or better in k rate whiff rate chase rate. 88th percent 82nd excuse me percentile and average exit velo like well above average velo he's got spin he's got extension he has an extremely spotty track record he has bounced around he was a minor league signing over the winter didn't even crack The White Sox opening day roster was called up in April and he appears to be putting it together in a very big way. It's like a 32% strikeout rate, nearly a 60% ground ball rate, very strong expected statistics. You look at what he's doing differently this year. He has started throwing his change-up as his primary weapon, uh, which is something that he had never done before in his career. You know the Blue Jays will love that. They love an unorthodox guy with a different pitch mix. Uh, he's also got a slider that he locates really well against righties. He's got like a 96-mile-per-hour fastball that he doesn't necessarily always command, but that's okay because he's primarily a changeup slider guy now. When you watch him pitch, it's like, a really unorthodox arm path with this weird release point and kind of deceptive approach angles and, and an odd delivery. We know the Blue Jays like that. They like guys who get their fastball off of that meatball plane. I, I think that Kenyon Middleton would be a good target.
1: Yeah, I like it. I like it. He's um, definitely got a bit more high impact potential than a Randall Grichuk um, or a Lorenzen. Um, I think this is a good pick for sure. Looking at his baseball reference page, Wow, did he ever time his his walk here perfectly because he really went from being a borderline big league or, you know, edge of the roster type player to he's if he continues this, he's going to go out there and sign for like, you know, 21 million over 2 years or something this off season, um the way he's pitching. So, yeah, I think he sh- he's going to be in demand. Um he, you know, if the White Sox do sell, he'll be in a lot of demand and the Jays should be one of those teams pursuing him.
0: All right, Ben, we have uh, rebuilt the Blue Jays. We've fixed the all-star break. We've decided exactly what's going to happen with Alec Manoa. I think we did good work this week.
1: That's right. I mean, it's it's, it's too bad we're taking next week off. Who knows what we could have accomplished with, uh, with another episode.
0: Yes, we will be away next week uh, recuperating and uh, recharging, but then we'll be back after that when the Blue Jays are on the other side of the All-Star break. So I want to thank all of you for listening. Uh, I want to thank Christian Ryan for producing. He's Ben Nicholson-Smith. My name's Arden Zwelling. We'll talk to you next time on At The Letters.